it says, at dawn, he appeared again at the temple courts. Now, we've got the setup here. Um, they bring this woman caught in the very act of adultery. It takes two to commit that sin. She's on her own. That's the hypocrisy that's so evident that these people, these scribes and Pharisees, these had just brought the woman and they had done it in, in order to entrap him. They thought, we've really got him now. Um, because the Lord Jesus had introduced himself as somebody who was full of grace and truth. The, the law had come through Moses. You read this in John 1.17. The law had come through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He had introduced himself as somebody who was full of grace. It's, um, it was something that was so important as it was fed into his teaching that that's the type of person he was. He was somebody who was showing grace. He was full of grace. He was full of truth. And it's God's loving kindness that he was showing. It's, um, of course, you know this, that grace, we often talk about it, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. And when they brought this woman in, they thought, we've actually got him. Because it's quite clear in the law of Moses that this is something that warrants death. This woman was caught in the act. There was no doubt about it. And they were the witnesses who had caught her and they brought her. And it says quite clearly in the law of Moses, this woman should be stoned. And they're thinking, right, how is the Lord Jesus going to get out of this one? If, if he says, uh, I'll let her go, then he is challenging the law of God, the law of Moses. And if he says, right, we should stone her, then he's not acting as a man full of grace. And he thought, how can he possibly get out of this? I think that trap, as I say, was satanic because it's, it's designed to upset Christ. It's designed to knock him off his path. It's designed to question who he is. And it's designed to put doubts in mind. And that's what Satan does to us all the time. And of course, he's going for it here. But when you read in the law of Moses, <clears throat> in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 7, it talks about that if someone is caught in a, a sin that warrants death, then it has to be done by more than one. It has to be witnessed by more than one person, two or three. And these people have to be very, very sure of the sin that they are accusing the person of. Because it goes on to say that that it's by the hand first of the witnesses that the punishment will be meted out. So in other words, 
once they had witnessed the sin and they had brought this person and was judged by two or three people, then when it came to the, the, the act of um, judgment, then they were the first people to cast the stone. I believe, you know, it was the Lord's mind, intention was, you don't take these things lightly when it comes to casting stones. You have to be very, very sure. And this is what the Lord, I think, was teaching in the law of Moses, is that you, you don't be, be very careful when you're pointing the finger because you're the one that's going to cast the stone, the first stone. And so it was designed to make people think very, very carefully about what they were accusing the person of and making the judgment. I'll put that in because it's pertinent when it comes to the Lord's comments later that um, we need to teach ourselves that we are very good at casting stones. I'm very good at it, and I'm sure you are too. We're very good at throwing stones. And we often talk about, we point the finger and there's three fingers pointing back at you. You've heard that before. We need to be aware of our sin. We need to be aware that we are not perfect. And who are we to cast stones? Especially when it comes to things that we directly are involved in. We're very good at pointing the fingers when it comes to seeing people doing things that we don't think we do. And we cast stones and it hurts. And so I think there's a teaching there, just be very careful and we think, think more about what you're doing. When they came and they brought this to Jesus, the first thing I just really wanted to drive home was the silence of the Lord. There they come and they've got this entrapment. They've got this all set out. We've caught this woman. Uh, there's no doubt about it. What are you going to do about it? And he doesn't answer them. He just writes on the ground. I'm not going to go into the writing because I've got no idea what he wrote. And I don't think it's maybe that benefit, benefit, uh, beneficial to try and work it out what it might have been. It doesn't really matter. I think the silence matters because that encouraged them to keep asking him and probably kept encouraging them that we've got him. He can't speak. The silence made me think about Isaiah 53 and 7, that the Lord Jesus, it was prophesied that he would be a man oppressed and afflicted. He was a man that before his shearers is done, he opened not his mouth, like a lamb before the uh, a lamb to the slaughter. I don't know whether you've ever been actually sheared a sheep before, <laughs> or at least seen uh, a film of it, or, or watched people do it. 
I, I had, I've had the pleasure, I could call it that, um, and it, it's remarkable to me that um, I do have a very strong member, uh, memory of being at the Black's Farm in Oakenfoyle and being involved in the sheep shearing. And uh, my job was to catch the sheep and they were running around and they were making terrible noise and you grab them, uh, had to do a rugby tackle on them and you would bring them over to the shearer and the shearer had a, was very good at tilting them on to their back, <laughs> grabbing their legs from behind them, whipping them over on their back. Once they were on their back, there was absolute silence. And you get the picture of the sheep on its back and it's totally subservient. It's just totally laid back and it's quiet. It doesn't make a noise and it doesn't kick, it just lays there. And the shearer can do his work or her work and shearing it all and taking the fleece off. And then once it's the fleece is off, he tilts the sheep back up onto its feet because it can't do that on its own. And as soon as it's on its feet, it's noisy again, complaining about how cold it is. The point being that the Lord Jesus was the picture we're together of the Lord Jesus in his crucifixion, in his suffering, in his coming to earth and in his dying, was that he totally gave himself over to his smiters and he didn't open his mouth. Now the silence bit there, um, it just, it making me think about it, um, making me think about the oppression of Christ, just made me really focus for that time, for that initial silence, that it's good when we study the word of God and you look at um, the meanings of words. It's, I would recommend it to you who, people who are Bible students to get a Bible that's got the Hebrew and Greek in it because you can look up words and you can find out as you uh, look at the Hebrew or the Greek the other meanings behind it and the deeper meanings that sometimes is not picked up that easily in English. And when you look up the word mouth, in my studies, it also took me to the discourse that God had with Moses uh, when he was preparing him to go down into Egypt to speak to the people and to speak to Pharaoh. And five times Moses resisted it and if you look up it look it up in Exodus chapter 4 in Exodus chapter 4 in verse 11 the Lord said to Moses who gave man his mouth <laughs> who makes him deaf or mute and after then the Lord was angry with Moses uh, about the resistance to go and do what he was being asked to do to speak for him he then tells them that Aaron was already on his way because <laughs> God knew and Aaron was to come but the thing that really got me interested really was that when it came to verse 15 of chapter 4 it said, God said you shall speak to him that's to Aaron and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. 
he will speak to the people for you. And it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. What I got out of that, and I'm passing on to you really, is the silence of Christ links to me about his time in the Mount of Olives is going before his father. He did not rush in to an answer, which he could so easily have done. But there's a time of silence, a time when you need to be listening to what God's saying to you, because it's important that the word of God comes out. It's important that the silence, first of all, is waiting on God. The one who was silent was silent before his oppressors. The one who was silent in his affliction. He waited on his God because he had the confidence to know that he had come to do the will of his father. And so as Moses was being given the confidence, then he was being told, wait, and then I will give you the words to speak. And then the Lord spoke. The Lord spoke and he spoke the words that came directly from God because he is God. And he spoke uh, in, in a way that was like the sharp two-edged sword. He spoke about the importance of understanding God. He was from God, but remember he was a man as well who has be, to be before God in silence. And then he's ready to speak. And his word, when you read it, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone, sharp as a two-edged sword straight to the quick. That setting that we're trying to imagine must have been so poignant. There must have been in the temple courts full of people. And this group of so-called witnesses with the woman in the middle, it's a scene that was being watched and listened to, I think, by a whole crowd. And there must have been silence and they're listening in awe. This man speaks, and everybody listens. And you'd have heard a pin drop. He spoke as from God. And that woman is standing there. And that group of witnesses, they are shot down. And one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, start to walk away, one by one. You know, the Lord was, he was confronting them. He was convicting them. He was offering them conversion. But they walked away. That's 
things that we've experienced in our life. Our salvation is when you're confronted with your sin. We're all sinners. It wasn't just the woman that was there. It was a sinner. Every one of them was a sinner. There was one man that wasn't. He was convicting them. Think about it. Do you really think you're able to pick up a stone and kill that woman? When they thought about it, they realized. And I think then these witnesses were probably guilty of the same sin. And then they really got frightened that their sin was going to be exposed because this man before them had the ability, the capability of doing that. And so they walked away until the woman was left on her own. The woman didn't walk away. And I think that's pertinent as well. I think she could have walked out as well. I thought there's nobody here to condemn me. I'll do a runner. <laughs> Now's the time to get out of this embarrassing situation that she didn't. She waited there and the Lord lifts his eyes and says, you know, is, is there nobody that condemns you? And our words were, no. In my Bible, it says, no, sir. No one, sir. Do you look up the word, sir? It also means Lord and master. I don't know. We don't know much about this woman at all. But you can read into this that she had listened She had been brought, been convicted of her sin. And now she's standing before the one man who could put her to death because he was without sin and he could cast the first stone. But no, he had come to die for her. He had come to go to the cross for her. He had come to bear her sin. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go away and don't sin anymore. I believe that woman was saved that day because the Lord did not condemn her. How could you possibly walk away from that, listening to these words and not be affected by it? But that's how, of course, We need to be affected now, 2,000 years later, on the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither do I condemn you. He did not come uh, to condemn that woman. He did not come to this world to condemn us. He came to condemn sin. He came to take away the power and the authority of sin. That's why he went to the cross. That, I think, must have hit home so poignantly in the courtyard of the temple, probably more than anything that they'd ever seen before. Is that watching that woman walking away, not condemned, her sin forgiven by the man who had come to take it away.